Mic check. One, two, one, two. Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> We're the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting, your weekly source for podcast news, tips, and tricks. From production to promotion and everything in between. I'm John Luckenball. And I'm Matthew Stevens. Two podcast experts ready to help you every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Stevens, and I'm joined as always by John Luckenball, the owner of Queued Up. How you doing, John? Matt, I'm doing well, man. Just coming back from the, the beach. Had a couple Ooh. days of relaxation, sort of, I guess you could say that. Still have a couple of little kids, so not <laughs> too much relaxation, but it was it was good. It was good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I John, I went to the zoo last week. Uh so we we both took like a day off. It was nice. We went out, enjoyed some weather. It it feels good to be back outside a little bit again. What uh what was your daughter's favorite animal? None of them. Uh she's <laughs> 20 months old and I'm going to be real with you, she did not care what was happening. Uh so much as she did enjoy whatever we got her for lunch. That and animal crackers. That's what <laughs> all she was about all day long. So, uh, but it was fun. It's, it's nice. And, and uh, you know, we've got a really good episode for everyone that's listening today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some first quarter earnings reports from some large networks like Cumulus Media, the New York Times, and the iHeartMedia Group. And then we're also going to dive into email newsletters and how you can utilize them to market your podcast better and even potentially monetize it if you're into that type of thing. But first, John, let's talk about the Peabody Awards. Yeah, so continuing on from one of the themes from last week's news with the Tribeca Film Festival, the 2021 Peabody Awards actually includes eight podcast nominees for their awards this year, uh, including that is This American Life, CBC, Washington Post and the Atlantic. It's interesting to see some of these things. You know, John, we talked about it last time, and I know we've talked about it, you know, off recordings of how podcasting as a medium is starting to kind of pick up a lot of attention. Certainly the numbers are behind it, which we'll we'll talk about here in a little bit. But more importantly, it's starting to get recognition. I mean, we're starting to see award ceremonies yeah. for it. We're starting to see, you know, the Peabody Awards, it's a pretty prestigious award. When we start seeing those types of things, it really does mean that podcasting as a whole is catching on. Uh, it's it's not a phase, mom. It's it's a real <laughs> thing, you know. It's right, right. We're gonna see this kind of evolve and continue to grow. It's it's a really good sign for the medium as a whole and for you podcasters out there. You know, it's an opportunity. All right, maybe the Peabodys are maybe out of reach for most people, uh, but there are other awards out there that you know. It's always nice to say, "Hey, I'm an award nominee. I'm an award winner." those things carry a little bit more weight, both with your audience and in just the medium as a whole. And I think over the next handful of years, as we start to see some of these things really start to, um, you know, show up in this medium, I'm excited for what it means. The Peabody's are the, a journalistic award. So I assume the podcasts that are being recognized on the Peabody's are more narrative based podcasts, probably the same with the Tribeca film festival, right? The, the podcast that more tell a story rather than your usual interview based podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, chances are, uh, no offense to Joe Rogan or anything like that, he's probably <laughs> not winning a Peabody. Um, like you mentioned, it's, it's this American life, 
We're seeing some things. Floodlines, which was from the Atlantic, revisiting Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're, you're getting some of those types of stories, and that's typically you know, your early award winners. And we see it with you know, the Oscars and Emmys and the like as well. Sometimes it's not uh, the biggest blockbuster movie that, that gets uh, the awards. It's the one that tells a very interesting story and, and you know, maybe has some dynamic elements uh, inside of it. So for those people that are doing narrative podcasts, that should really excite you. For those people who are doing maybe more informational, uh, non-narrative, non-story driven podcasts, there are still some podcast awards that I'm sure will pop up again over the next handful of years for you guys as well. But and again, reinforces the idea that podcasting as a, a medium, as a source, as an entertainment option has value to it, like a movie, like a television show, like a book. Uh, which again, I think just only strengthens the idea that podcasting is is an entertainment option for people. Yes, absolutely. So I think that would be perfect for, for example, the Survive and Thrive podcast. Yes, I agree with you, John. I think the Survive and Thrive podcast, which is one of our our clients here at Queued Up, would be great for that. You know, it's uh, Jennifer is telling nineteen stories based on COVID nineteen and how people are dealing with that, especially in business and and with diversity and and change management and those types of things. A really interesting podcast. I mean, not not to to promote our own shows, but a really interesting podcast that has been really, really fun to work on as well, because you're getting to hear all of these interesting dynamics from, from some high ranking people in business and how they're dealing with it. And, you know, maybe how it also relates to your life as an individual. So I I agree with you. We'll see if some of those types of shows can start winning some awards or at least getting nominated for some of those awards. And it doesn't necessarily go to the larger networks like the New York Times, like iHeart, like Cumulus, uh, which is a great segue for our earnings reports. Mm. John, obviously, we just got done with our, our first quarter of the year. Uh, it feels like it's been 17 years, but it's just the first quarter of 2021, uh, which means that we're starting to see some of these you know, publicly traded companies start releasing some of their numbers. And as we've seen over the last few years, podcasting is growing. And now we get a chance to apply some dollars and cents to that growth as well. Yeah, some of these numbers are ridiculous to see. So the podcast revenue grew 35% in the first quarter at Cumulus Media compared to last year. So although they didn't release specific podcast numbers, the reported overall digital revenue grew 23.7% from a year ago to just over $27 million. Yeah, I think if my math works out, my, my mental math here, that means, you know, a growth of right around six-ish million. That's significant for any company. I mean, a, a 23, almost a quarter percent yeah, uh, going up, that's that's huge. And when you start, again, applying those dollars and cents, actual real-world value to it, $6 million increase is massive for a company. The New York Times also saw some growth. Uh, overall revenue during the first quarter was $473 million, a 6.6% increase from last year. And more importantly, they did kind of release some of their numbers, which is they believe they will hit 10 million subscribers by 2025. So they just over the last year struck deals with Serial and This American Life, along with The Daily, which is PodTrack's most listened show now for more than two years. So uh, I'm wondering how many shows are in their are in their arsenal to to have 10 million subscribers. 
Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, these types of earnings reports aren't always the clearest with some of that stuff. You'll you'll get some of those good headlines. Now, when we look at PodTrack, took a look at that uh, New York Times has 15 active shows, but they also split out This American Life into its own separate show. And obviously, if they're all kind of tied in, it's not, again, entirely clear exactly how many shows they actually own or they're putting into those numbers. But it does show, again, just the growth of those things. If they can have 10 million subscribers, that's not even saying what their total number of downloads are going to be, because not every subscriber is going to download. Not every uh, download is coming from a subscriber. So uh, as we look at at PodTrack's numbers for April, uh, the New York Times had a U.S. unique monthly audience of a little over 10 million, a global audience of just under 96 million. And again, that's not counting This American Life, which was just under 3 million for U.S. and a global audience of 10.6 million. So that's over 15 shows for them. And then This American Life being, I guess, the 16th. So, you know, 10 million subscribers, if that's what they're trying to reach, it certainly seems that they will go well over the 100 million downloads a month mark as a total on a pretty continual basis. Those are the types of numbers that media companies love to hear that certainly shareholders love to hear as well. What about uh, iHeart? I see they got triple digit revenue gain this quarter. Their podcast revenue skyrocketed 142%, totaling 38.4 million. iHeart Media is certainly the top of the game currently. Audio is hot. Everything in audio is growing, according to iHeart CEO Bob Pittman. And he's not lying about that. I mean, we've seen it. Obviously here, 142% growth, $38.4 million for their podcasting at iHeart. Uh, That's great. Again, PodTrack has them at the top of the chart in April with unique U.S. audience of about 27 million listeners and a global downloads audience of about 251 million. Now, we're going to dive into those numbers maybe a little bit deeper into a later on episode and what they maybe mean and more specifically, again, some of these numbers aren't exactly crystal clear on certain things. iHeartMedia has something to the effect of 557 shows. So some of these numbers, again, slightly skewed. Uh, as we like to say on here, you got to look at all of the numbers, not just some of these things. But um, that's great. It also shows that iHeartRadio is able to really be successful with their download numbers because of their broadcast radio platform and their ability to promote their podcast to a large audience with a high frequency, right? We were talking about that before we actually hit record about how, you know, a lot of radio stations nowadays aren't really radio stations. They're just podcast networks that just play those things uh, and then will occasionally throw a song or two in there from time to time. But we're seeing podcasting kind of in, in some ways take over your typical FM radio, uh, it's cheaper to produce, it's easier to produce, it's easier to distribute across the United States, certainly. So yeah, iHeartMedia, having that radio background, having that distribution network definitely allows them to reach an audience that, you know, your typical independent podcaster is not going to be able to reach as of yet. But again, it shows that growth and where podcasting is heading as, as an art form. Well, what about the independent podcaster? We don't have that huge megaphone of a radio broadcast giant. Where do we go from now? I mean, last week we talked about websites. It's interesting. Bob Pittman, uh, as a part of that earnings report, talked a little bit about the subscription model and how 
that isn't necessarily great for them. Uh, more specifically, he says, and I quote, content creators want to reach as many people as they can, and that appears to be by far the best economic model. No one has yet proven that there is any subscription opportunity in podcasting, and a number of people have tried already and have not yet succeeded. Now, I get what Bob Pittman is saying. For iHeartMedia, you're probably right. Doing the donation method, doing your, your call to arms in that regard, probably isn't going to work for them. That's, it, it's a lot easier to sell Toyota ads than it is to ask your audience for $5 each. But we are seeing, again, from an independent standpoint, we are seeing subscription models work. Apple and Spotify, I know we just talked about that in our last episodes, about how they're starting up their subscription models. We've seen this already in things like Patreon. Um, now, I took a look at Patreon. They work with a lot of podcasters. The Dungeons & Dragons podcast, Dungeons & Daddies, has just under 12,000 patrons at a minimum of $5 a month. So, you know, according to that, they're earning $60,000 a month. Bob Pittman might not be terribly happy with those numbers if he was just earning that on every podcast that, that they have. But at the same time, for an independent podcast, that's quit your job money, guys. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we, we see it with other ones on Patreon as well that have, you know, a few thousand subscribers. Again, the, the typical model seems to be about $5 a month is the low end. And it goes all the way up to, you know, 50 plus where you start offering some additional things, merchandise and, and the like. But if you're an independent podcaster and you're looking to monetize your show through subscription models like Patreon, you don't have the same benefits as a large network like Cumulus or iHeartMedia. You don't have that sales team pitching ads again to Toyota, to Jif. You know, you got to market your podcast personally and you got to maybe you know, play up those subscription options a little differently than, again, an iHeart or a Cumulus or an ESPN was going to have to do. Now, we touched on the importance of having a website in our last episode. But now let's dive into how you can actually translate that website into an active marketing campaign and even potentially monetization down the line. Newsletters. We all get them. Some of us hate them. Some of us, you know, don't always opt in for all of them, but they work. That is a huge part of a, a really good marketing strategy is continuing to engage with your subscribers. Let's talk a little bit about the strategy benefits and uh, maybe maybe some tips and tricks for the audience to start up their own email newsletter campaign. It seems like the email marketing is the perfect tool to bridge the gap between episodes and to keep your listeners engaged, right? So, so your email campaigns can add more depth to your podcast, plus you can use them to also grow your, your fan base. Some of the benefits that I see, Matt, you can have your two-way conversations. You can build community and strengthen relationships through newsletters. You can gather feedback. And again, you can elaborate or follow up on topics after a podcast episode. You can take an even deeper dive onto specific topics. Is there any other benefits? You touched on a lot of them right there. A, a lot of a good marketing campaign is just continuing the conversation. You have a podcast, whether you do then social media afterwards, where you maybe put out some value-added graphics or you engage with your audience that way. You have a website where you have Facebook groups where, again, maybe you build a community and you're able to talk to your fans and, and more directly uh, work with them. Newsletters are in the same vein. You're able to engage with your audience on kind of a personal level. Even though it's, it's written to your entire audience, you know, things in your inbox are kind of personal. They, they are a one-to-one -one connection. So it's a great way to 
engage with your audience, to build that trust a little bit better, to increase your brand awareness, to even just promote the fact that, hey, we have a new episode coming out. This is a special episode. We're going to be talking about this. Make sure you tune in. Uh, you know, we talked about it just a little while ago. Not every subscriber is going to download. Not every download is going to be a subscriber. If you can get some of those and build up a good email campaign, you can kind of bridge that gap a little bit, get some of those people that weren't going to, to download or listen to your episode to get to do that. And in addition to that, you know, it's, it's additional advertising opportunities. There are, you know, ways to promote your show sponsors and your advertisers. There's more analytics. And from a marketing perspective, the more metrics that I have to measure success and measure what we're doing and, and, and the tweaks that we're making, the better I can make the show, the better I can make our marketing, the better I can monetize the show. I like how you said that with the, your sponsors and advertisers. It's just a, an additional way. So not only can you put your, your mid-rolls and your ads into your podcast, but you can also offer them a spot on, your, on these newsletters, right? Yeah. Don't turn it into just a giant billboard. But if you were to go to one of your sponsors and say, hey, part of, you know, we have a thousand downloads an episode. We do a, a weekly episode. We also have a subscriber uh, list of, or an email subscriber list of about 1,500. We have a website with traffic that ranges per month on 3,000 people. So total all, we have this audience that we're able to connect with in three or four different ways, social media. Uh, we can put your ad in there. We can make sure that, that they know about whatever that brand is in each one of these things. It is going to increase the, the potential for conversions. If you are doing things like, you know, manscaped.com or audible or, you know, those affiliate link style of monetization, that's again, another opportunity for you to include those things in there. Again, by having that type of engagement with your audience, it's a personal thing. It's, it's, you can say, Hey, support us by going to audible and signing up with this code queued up or by doing this and, and going and, and supporting these sponsors. Um, it's additional advertising revenue stream for you to have. That's uh, awesome. and it just makes you look better to an advertiser. On these uh, newsletters, then you could also include like your blogs. If you write a blog on your podcast topic, you would list your, your episode on email newsletters. But then if you also create a blog that goes into the further information on specific strategies to use, then you can have that in there as well and kind of pair it up. Yes, yes. You've heard me say this repeatedly on this podcast, and you'll hear it ad nauseum until <laughs> this podcast is done. Content's king. If people have signed up and they like you and they're, they're, they're a part of your email newsletter list, they like what you're doing. They want more content from you. They want to get that content as quickly as possible in a lot of cases. If you do a deeper dive in a blog post about something, well, then great. Put that in there. At least tease it. You know, say, hey, last week's episode, we talked about websites. This blog post tells you more about websites, the benefits of websites, the pros and cons, the tips and tricks, the whatever it is. Again, you now translate it. People who might not have gone onto your website, you've converted them into website visitors or you've converted them into, you know, even potentially going back and listening to that previous episode that they did not listen to before. So we talk about tales in marketing. When you get a download, your your day one is probably going to be your highest, and then it should go down from there. The longer that you have downloads, the longer that tail is. If you can extend that, again, through marketing efforts like newsletters, through blogs, through your website, through those things, you increase your download numbers over time. You potentially, again, add new subscribers. You, you potentially add 
new listeners, or you take people that, again, maybe have listened to a handful of episodes here and there, and you turn them into regular listeners. That's awesome, Matt. I'm sold. You should definitely have an email newsletter, but is there a specific strategy that we should put together in order to create the best email newsletter? There is. I've got 10 <laughs> steps specifically. Okay. So step one, you got to define your goal. What are you trying to do with this email newsletter? Are you trying to get people to buy your shirts? That is a good goal in some cases. Are you trying just to get people to listen to your podcast more often? Are you trying to sell that advertising spot and make it seem a little bit more interesting? Finding out what your goal is, really trying to define that and narrow it down very specifically, allows you then to do the rest of these steps with that in mind, which means you're going to have a newsletter that is targeting that goal very specifically and hopefully increasing the conversions on whatever you want your audience members to do. So would the email newsletter then be different for each different goal then? If you're trying to sell something or if you're trying to get more downloads, would that would be completely different? You can combine some of those things. Again, it's there's no hard and fast rules with a lot of this stuff. You got to use a little bit of common sense here. Uh, you don't want to have five goals in one newsletter and block it up because people aren't going to pay attention. You only have them for at most a minute or two, if you can even get them to open it to begin with. So, you know, maybe sticking to a goal or two makes the most sense. You know, for somebody like us, you know, hey, we want to push uh, visits to the website. We want to push listen to previous episodes. Those are probably our two biggest goals with our newsletters. So those are the two things that we would focus on. We would say, hey, this week we're going to be talking about newsletters. Make sure you, you, you listen to that. Here's a graphic that maybe gives you, again, a little bit more value than just listening just to the episode by itself. There you go. But we also go to qd-up.com in order to see this blog post where we talk about websites, which is what we talked about last week. And again, the pros and cons of it and, and the benefits and some tips and tricks, or again, whatever it is that you're doing, that's going to convert people over into to website traffic, which then for a business, uh, you're going to be able to potentially turn those people into customers. It's all a part of your overall marketing funnel there. But for Dungeons and Daddies, they probably want to highlight some of their recent content and they more specifically want to push people to Patreon. They want to push people into that monetization funnel that they've got and offer benefits. And even if that's a one-off, you know, hey, we're going to do a hand-painted miniature for you this month. If you subscribe and you do the $50 model, we've got a special one for you. Something like that, then that allows you to, again, focus on that goal very specifically. You define your goal. What's the next step to find a provider, somewhere to put the email list? Yes. If you have not created an email list previously, you've not created an email campaign previously, you need to find a provider. Uh, and there are a lot of them out there. Now, the most common MailChimp and Constant Contact, they're the most well-known. They're probably the ones you hear the most ads for on podcasts as well. MailChimp has a free option for smaller campaigns. I believe uh, like one audience, one segmented group uh, email list of about 2,000 people, I think is what their free option is. So it's a pretty robust option. Constant Contact starts at $10 a month, but uh, they have some more options there on what you might want to do. For most people, I think MailChimp's the way to go. It's it's no cost to get in. It's easy. And they do a lot of the things for you there, including templates, including uh, creating your email newsletter sign up for your website, which is really your next step after you choose your provider, after you fill in all your information, is getting a spot where people can actually sign up 
to be a part of your newsletter. And again, this goes back to that website you should have. When you have your website, you can put a pop-up on there. You can put a little banner ad on there for your newsletter that can capture those emails. That's step number three. Step number four, take a look at your social media as well. Uh, mention it on your podcast. You know, one of the things you should be already doing in your outro is saying, hey, make sure to visit us on Instagram or our social medias, visit our website. You also should be adding and sign up for a newsletter for exclusive content for what, again, whatever that you're specifically trying to do there. That's a great way to then advertise that. It seems like with the ever-changing algorithms for social media that this would be a lot more beneficial to to have this email newsletter that you can control your communication with your audience and, and kind of really niche down on your target. Yeah. So one of the things I think, you, you know, email newsletters make the most sense for is, you know, we're podcasters. We all see those spikes that happen. This episode did particularly well. This episode didn't do particularly well. Uh, having a newsletter or email signup list of, again, let's just say even a hundred people, those hundred people, if you're regularly doing your newsletter, if you're, if you're writing engaging copy, if you're doing the right things there, you will often have a good plateau, a good baseline, a good floor where then you can spike up and you can do different things there, but you don't dip down as hard. And as you continue to grow that email newsletter sign up list, again, that floor just continues to rise in a lot of ways, albeit if you're doing the right things uh, along the way, which we'll get into here in just a second. But it's a way to ensure that you don't, you're not all over the place. You, you have relatively consistent numbers. And when promoting your podcast on social media, I think redirecting people to your sign-up landing page, not directly to Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, but by collecting subscribers through your pages, you'll own those email addresses. And if you do switch podcast services or change your social media pages, you can still take your audience with you. You don't have to start from scratch again. Yeah, that's exactly it, John. Again, it's it's a built-in audience that like you enough to give you their email. Not everyone's going to give you their primary email, but it's a good opportunity to have your listeners and carry them with you. Or in the times where you know social media is not infallible, uh, Instagram goes down from time to time, Facebook goes down from time to time, Apple occasionally goes down from time to time. It's nice to be able to have that newsletter to then direct them either to a download spot on your website or the player on your website, which you should have, uh, or another service they could potentially use, it helps bridge some of those gaps and provides a little bit more security for sure. What about the look of the newsletter? Well, yeah. So you have emails, you have people signed up, you've got a, a bunch of people. Now, what do you do? Well, now is the time when you have to start designing it. And that sounds complicated. That sounds, you know, not everyone's a designer. I get it. Most of your email newsletter services have some templates pre-built in. I know MailChimp does. If you have one that does not, or they want to charge you for some other ones, you can find some ones online. Uh, you can potentially have someone create one for you if you want to go that route uh, and you want to pay that. Or you can buy pre-built templates on things like ThemeForest, I know is something that we've used previously for other graphics and, and other different things. So there are a ton of templates out there you know, find one that fits best with what you're trying to do that you would like to see personally if you were being emailed. Uh, and again, make sure that it matches your goal. Make sure that it's going to match ultimately the copy that you're going to put in it 
which again should be very much tied to your goal. The next big thing is now that you've kind of got a design, you got a you got an outline at the very least, you need to create an eye-catching subject line. This is the most important thing. I will reiterate that. This, if you listen to only one thing here, this is the most important thing. People will only see the subject line. If it's boring, they're not going to click on it. If it looks spammy, they're not going to click on it. You have to you have to to do a really good job of kind of riding that line between something that is really engaging and interesting and makes you want to click, but doesn't get picked up by your spam filters and isn't necessarily boring or uh, is too far not relevant to what you're trying to say. Could you use like your SEO keywords? Do you, su- do you suggest that in your subject line? I, if they make sense, yes. Uh, you're not going to get any SEO benefits out of using those in there. You know, again, if it makes sense, if it's if it's a main keyword that you really want to use, and again is is engaging, then yeah. But you kind of want to go more the BuzzFeed route, in my opinion. And I think most people that are listening to this knows what BuzzFeed does. It's the ten tips to blah blah blah. You won't believe this thing. Wow. Um, those types of headlines, like them or not, you might not personally click on them, but a lot of people do. There's a reason why those sites are all over the place online. Uh, why we see it on social media a lot as well, and, and YouTube and, and the like. Try to follow some of those those things. Again, you don't want to be too, super clickbaity. You don't want to say, you know, this is how you can make a billion dollars in, in 2021. And then you talk about how maybe you might be able to earn 40 bucks a month. People aren't going to be very happy about that. You're going to get people to unsubscribe. But if you're having a newsletter that talks about monetization, talk about your subject line could be something like, this is how you can make money in podcasting. That's interesting. I'd want to click on it. I think most of you would want to click on it in the audience, but it doesn't sell anything that is out of range or is clickbaity or something that you're going to get into it and go, oh, well, he's talking about cents. He's not talking about dollars. I'm not going to quit my job. I'm not going to, this isn't even beer money. You got to bridge that gap there. That's why this is the most important thing. And it ties into some future uh, strategy goals that you want to do. The next thing after you have your subject line, create engaging copy. And we just talked about it with the headline. You want to build trust with your audience. So you don't want to go uh, above and beyond. You don't want to turn it into a billboard. You don't want to oversell and under deliver. You want to make sure that your goal is clearly defined and write your newsletter with that in mind. Provide links and photos back to your content. Some good content ideas for, for email campaigns would be your show notes, behind the scenes footage, personal thank you messages, recapping your podcast shows further discussion points on a specific topic or episode. What about like listener responses or reminders of new releases? Would those work well in a email newsletter? Yeah, John, you nailed them. All of those things definitely work and and they're great ideas to put in there. Uh, It's about engagement. So yeah, you know, having a poll in there of what do you think about this? Uh, Maybe building a community in that sense of allowing them to kind of dictate maybe where your content goes. Hey, you know, we have these four topics that we want to talk about. What do you, the listener, actually want to hear? Click on here and, you know, fill out this poll. Those types of things, again, build engagement and and ensure that those people are then going to turn into listeners later on. But highlighting your shows, the highlights of specific shows are always great. You remember that time that we said this? Uh, Again, if you are providing graphics and, and some type of a value, maybe even sliding that in there or like an infographic that maybe was a little too big for social media, 
hey, here's a link to this infographic. Here's a link to this ebook that we're doing or this white paper that we've got. Provide that value that they can't just get just on your website or just on social media or just in the podcast. You kind of want to you want to bridge all of them together in order to get people to further click into your your ecosphere. <laughs> That's such a great idea. Now we build out the the email newsletter. It looks great. What's what's next? It looks great. It reads great. You've got an uh, amazing headline. You'd want to click on it. Now's the time to send. It. So oh. you've got all these email <laughs> lists. You click the send button. You let Mailchimp, Constant Contact, or any of the other services do what they do. They send it out. Now you got to just sit and wait a little bit. And I know impatience. I get it. But this is now when you want to start thinking analytically. You want to then, after you send it, track your results. Look, not every person is going to open your newsletter. Not every person that even opens your newsletter is going to then do what you want them to do. That's okay. That's fine. That's going to be the case. Do you have any stats on like how many can you expect to really read? Yes, it is going to range quite a lot, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think the typicals, according to Smart Insights, is between about 7% and 31%. Again, depends on the industry, depends on your headline, depends on the copy, depends on how many people you have. If you've got one, well, it's it's either 100% or zero. So the more that you have, the the better those percentages will kind of get dialed in. But yeah, you can expect... You know, I think for most podcasters, between 7 to 10% is probably pretty fair that will actually click on things and then will we'll do anything that you want them to do. But tracking those results is where it's really important. So let's just say you got 7% this month. Okay, well, how can we get that to 10% next month? Let's change the subject line. Maybe go a little bit more clickbaity. Let's go a little bit more interesting. Let's see how it does. Did it go up or did it go down? Well, if it went down, okay, well, then you know you went too far in a direction. Let's change it up again. If you're not getting the conversions that you want, okay, well, let's change it up. Maybe we don't have the right content in there for what people actually want to use this newsletter for. So reading and reacting is the best thing to do in marketing. And, and there are a lot of tips and tricks that you'll hear in marketing. There are a lot of marketers will hate this one trick you do. The reality is, is any good marketer looks at the numbers, they see what happens they tweak things, they look at the numbers, see what happens, they further tweak things until eventually you know exactly what your audience wants to digest, you know exactly what they're going to click on, and you have it dialed in where you're not seeing any changes no matter what you do, then great. You know your audience perfectly, you know how to market them perfectly. Chances are you're monetizing your podcast, you're doing great, and you know, you'll know you be on that top 20 list soon enough. So the only thing you're really tracking for your email newsletters is just your open rate? Or can you get further into your analytics? So you're going to track your open rate primarily, and then you're going to track conversions. So did they click through? And this is where having like Google Analytics on your website will be handy as well. You can kind of combine all of these things in order to follow how a user went through. So if you have 100 people, 10% of people clicked in, that's 10 people. But then you only have three people going to your website. Well, then great. You know you have a what, 30% conversion rate on your opens, a total of a 3% conversion rate on your entire email list. And then you can figure it out from there, again, depending on exactly what you want your audience members to do, uh, what is successful for you and what isn't. So if you put a link to your website page that has your, your podcast player, you can track how many people read your email newsletter and click on that podcast link to see how many people go through and actually listen to your podcast through your email newsletter, correct? That is precisely right, which is 
a great thing about this, and we, we've talked about it previously, and I know we're going to talk about it a ton again, you know, podcast hosting providers provide some insight, provide some analytics, some metrics to go ahead and measure, but it's not the same as a website. On a website, I can see what state you're from. I can see what city you're from. I can see, are you male, female? Uh, what age group are you in? Uh, in some cases with social media, I can see what interests are you in? Do you like Joe Rogan? Okay, cool. Then I know how to market to you in that way. Do you like American girl dolls? Okay, well, I'm going to market to you in a pretty dramatically different way. You can get some of those things you can't get from your hosting provider or your podcast hosting provider by kind of combining all of these efforts together. You can get a far better picture of your audience. And again, that will help you in other facets of your marketing campaign as well. Uh, once you know that, you know, 90% of my audience is males 25 to 35, and they all like fighting. They all like UFC and boxing. Okay, again, I'm going to market to them differently than females 50 to 65. Those would be more important numbers to track than your, your download numbers that your hosting platforms give. Your download numbers still have a place, but to actually really understand your audience, it seems like these numbers that you're able to track through your website and through your email newsletters and stuff are probably more important, at least to the independent podcasters. To a degree, yes. I mean, like you mentioned, your, your downloads are always going to be, uh, for a, a, a large portion of podcasters, the most important metric. Uh, how many people do you have listening is, is great. Now, for again, if you're trying to convert that listening into something, whether that be website clicks, whether that be uh, some type of monetization, whether, again, you're selling merch or you've got advertisers or you're pushing them to a service that you want to have or that, that you have that you want them to to contact you about, your conversions are really going to be your most important thing. You don't care if you have one download or a million downloads. You care about your end result, which is your your return on investment. Um, again, this is going to be different for podcasters. Your narrative podcasters probably aren't going to care too much about the conversion rates. They're going to pay more attention to the download numbers because that's really where they're at. Whereas a business like Queued Up, for example, really, we're, we're going to end up caring about how many of those listeners turn into customers in some facet, or, or do they provide additional value from a cross-promotion or a word-of-mouth perspective? How can we go ahead and quantify that, and, and how can we better, again, use that for our benefit as a business? That's going to differ for, for each podcaster and what's your, your goal, which, again, is step number one. So we send it. We are able to track the responses. How often do you send this? Is this something where you send it for each episode? I mean, if you have a daily podcast and you're sending five newsletters a week, does that make sense? Or or do you no. consolidate them to like once a week? Or what, what's your best practices? If you have a daily podcast and you send me an email every single day, <laughs> I'm going to unsubscribe that by day three. I, yeah. and, and I guarantee most of your audience will as well. Again, it's going to differ on your podcast. If you do one episode a month, well, then probably once a month makes the most sense. If you do one every week, I probably wouldn't do more than two email newsletters in a month. Uh, again, any more than that, inbox is pretty precious, just like your mailbox is. When someone sends you a credit card offer, it's a little frustrating at times. Uh, if you get spammed and you have now a thousand pieces of email in your inbox, and they're all from this daily podcast that is just pestering you, you're probably not going to be terribly interested in listening to that podcast. So I, I would say really no more than two times a month. You're probably best to go once a month just to not alienate your audience, but still get some of those conversions. 
Again, it's going to differ depending on your podcast, uh, your goals, and your audience. And those are some of the things the analytics can help you track. Maybe two times a month is too much for you. Maybe once a month is right. Maybe once a month is too much. Maybe you need to do it once a quarter. That's all going to be dependent on on your conversion rates, your open rates, those types of things. But I, I think for most podcasters, starting off with once a month allows you to highlight your episodes throughout that month. Again, even if you do a daily podcast, hey, here are the three or four episodes that either did the best for us as podcasters, or we think we're just special episodes that we're really proud of and we want to highlight. Those types of things are important. That will also be the case for a bi-weekly or once a month one where maybe you don't have to pick out two or three options. You can give them both episodes or the singular episodes that are there and dive into that content a little bit more than you would with the daily podcast. But again, that's where your analytics are out. But start out your first one probably once a month. Matt, this seems like a no-brainer. <laughs> It seems like any podcaster that has a website, this is something that they should really implement to continue to grow their audience. Do you have any other tips or suggestions? Absolutely, John. One of the final things you want to do, so you've sent it out, you've tracked your results, you've gotten whatever you're going to get out of it. But again, not everyone was going to, uh, to open that email newsletter. Some people purposefully ignored it. Some people went, you know what, I want to click on it, but not right now in the middle of work. And they just forget about it. Some people just never even see it. So that's going to be a bulk of the people that you're going to send it to. Again, we talked about how your open rate is going to be about between 7 to 31%. That means at least 69% of people are never going to open your email. Well, you want to hit them back up again. In most newsletter providers, you can just target the people that didn't open the newsletter and you can tweak some things. So about 48 hours later, I want to grab those people that didn't open the newsletter and I want to maybe change the subject line because they didn't open it for a reason, didn't catch enough of their attention. Let's change it. If we can get even another percent or two, hey, that's more than we were going to get. Um, and because you're not targeting the everybody, you're just targeting just the people that didn't open it, you're not going to alienate the people that are now getting it three times a week. That's a good tip. How often do you resend? Is it just a one-time resend or can you resend it throughout the month to, to get that other 69%? It's it's probably going to be diminishing returns on on that at a certain point. I'd say really just once. But again, you know, test it out. If you have a hundred subscribers, your first email only got to ten. Your second one only got an additional three. Then tweak some other things in there. See if you can't get another three, four, five percent. But at a certain point, you're going to notice eh, now you're getting one or two additional people. It's not. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense anymore. Uh, it's just not worth your time to continue doing it. That's something that is going to be different for each newsletter. It's going to be something that's going to be different for each podcast. It's going to be something that's different for each individual person. Again, look at those metrics and figure out what's happening there. Uh, that will dictate how often you want to do it to begin with. But at least once, probably no more than twice, uh, unless you are really noticing some great results. But after the first time you do that, you should have a better idea of if your third and fourth attempt got more than your second attempt then you should have a better idea of what your audience is actually looking for. And the next time you go to go resend it, you'll be able to hit that audience a little better. So we talked about defining your goals. We talked about the newsletter itself and the strategies to do it. There's no reason why you aren't doing it. Again, it's free. All it takes is a little bit of time. And as we talked about earlier in the episode with the large networks, you do not have a sales team. You do not have a marketing team. Chances are you are your sales and marketing team. 
So you're going to have to put some sweat equity into it if you want to grow your podcast. Or if you don't feel like putting sweat equity into it and you want to hire someone to do it, well, John, I'm pretty sure I know exactly who they can call. You can contact Queued Up. You can go to our website, qd-up.com, through our email, info at queuedup.com. Maybe sign up for our newsletter at qd-up.com. And always make sure you reach out to us via DMs on Facebook, Instagram, I believe Twitter as well. Uh, wherever you can find us, hit us up. Let us know what you think. What do you guys want to talk about? What do you guys want to hear? What are your success stories with newsletters and your websites? I know we're going to be talking a lot more about those quarterly earning reports and those download numbers for the month of April later on this month with a potentially a special guest, not to tease things too much, but you're going to want to make sure that you listen to this podcast every single week.